Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to the passage we read, 1 Peter chapter 1, and reading just three words in verse 6. If need be. Your whole verse reads, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. 1 Peter 1 verse 6 If need be. The Apostle is writing to the Lord's people scattered in this epistle, it is to specific places, but we would remember that this is part of the inspired word of God. And so as our Lord, when he prayed for his disciples, the twelve, he said, Neither do I pray for these alone, but they also who shall believe on me through their word. So with this epistle and all the word of God, it is to the people of God, scattered throughout all of the world. The reason is to strengthen the brethren. It may be you and I this evening. We need strengthening. We need encouraging. We need help. We need the Lord's word for us in the place where we are in our soul's experience or in our path of providence. We need the word to come where we are. We would remember in connection to our text that God is in control in all things that happen in the world, all things that happen with his people. He is in control. Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass, when the Lord commandeth it not? Now times are in his hand, not in Satan's hand not in man's hand, not even in our hand. The Apostle Paul, he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. We have also to remember that all that the Lord does for his people is necessary. It's not unnecessary. It's not something that is not part of God's plan of salvation and purpose for his people. He doesn't have some things that are working together for good and other things that are not. Paul tells us very clearly, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. So those things that you might be, I might be looking at, in my life, the things that we pass through, the trials, the difficulties, the sorrows, the heaviness, those things we might say, well, what purpose, what reason is that? We may know not, we've sung of it, haven't we? But there is a purpose, there is a reason. Our Lord, in inspired word to Jeremiah, the Lamentations of Jeremiah, we read there in chapter 3, and there are many verses that are 
very profitable. Of course, we would remember Jeremiah is walking through the time uh, that he sees the temple destroyed, he sees the captives taken away, he sees the Lord's people not listening to the Lord, not bowing, not repenting, not turning, and the Lord's judgments coming. And he says in verse uh, 31, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men, to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High, to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord approveth not. And then there follows the verse we quoted before, who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass when the Lord commandeth it not. But many things the Lord's dear people go through. They do cause grief and sorrow, uh, but we're assured that the Lord does not delight in that. There is a purpose, a need for it. A child that has to go to the doctor, that has to have an injection, they don't like the injection. Uh, but it is for their good. It has pain associated with it. They must go through it. Uh, a child or even an adult that has something wrong with their teeth must go to the dentist. They don't like it. They don't like the, uh, the needle for the anaesthetic. They don't like the drill. They don't like anything about it. But it's necessary. We can see the need uh, of having that, that treatment done. And so... In our lives we are used to uh, having the, the concept that some things are needful to go through, though they are painful. And so we have here with the word of our text, if need be. Peter has been writing and telling them of the blessings that they have. They are elect, they have been sanctified by the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. They have been begotten again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he points them to what that end is, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, is a most blessed, sacred prospect for the people of God that they should have in heaven a desired haven, a resting place, a home above. And he says in our text, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. So I want to look at the word before us in three ways. Firstly, the need be for our Lord. I want to begin with our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and the need be for what he went through. And then secondly, the need be of calling 
and the new birth for us. And then thirdly, the need be of proving that faith that was given at the new birth, that it is a real faith. It is given by God. And so it is tested and proved. If need be, ye are heaviness through manifold temptations. But let us begin with our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the path that he must walk. When our first parents fell, they transgressed the holy, sacred law of God, and God had already set the penalty for that in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And when our first parents sinned, then God brought that judgment upon them. They died literally. Adam was to be over 900 when he died, but eventually he and those that followed and those right to this day, we must needs die. We cannot escape that sentence that God has appointed. Only those at the Lord's return and Enoch and Elijah were those that will not die but rather be translated. So we must go through death, all of us, cease to have our existence here and lose our breath and be laid in the grave. But we also died spiritually, incapable of knowing the things of God. The natural man receiveth not the things of God, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We are dead in sins and in trespasses. But the Lord had a people that were given him by the Father and by the Father to redeem, chosen in him from the foundation of the world. When his people fell with all mankind, then he was to redeem them. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He knew what it entailed when those people were given to him to redeem. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And so our Lord Jesus Christ then must also come under that sentence of death. If he is to be the substitute for his people, if he is to pay the debt that they owed that they could not pay, if he is to stand in their place, then he also must suffer death voluntarily, willingly, without needing to himself because of his sinnership. So he must needs come and he must needs then be like unto his brethren, born of a woman and made under the law that he might redeem them that are under the law. We would say in relation to this need be that there is no way that God could have used his almighty power that he used to create this earth. He could not use that power to uh, quicken a soul into life, to save a soul from death without his beloved son being made like unto his brethren and suffering in their place suffering in body and in soul and redeeming body and soul, enduring the wrath of God due to the sins of his people, 
made upon him. He had laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. So we should remember that his life, his death, his sufferings, the contradiction of sinners against himself, all of these things were suffered and endured because of the sins of his people. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now we do not choose our trials. The Lord doesn't say to us, you choose what is needful for you. You choose what trials. You must, we are told, you must through much tribulation enter the kingdom. The Lord doesn't give us the choice. If he did, wonder what we would choose. When we think of those that we know, those that have afflictions, those that have trials in the family, those that have trials in the church, whose place would we take? I remember years ago reading a poem, and it was called The Changed Cross. And it, it pictured a person that had a, a crown, but that crown they didn't want to wear it. It was a trial, it was a tribulation to them. So then they were led to look at a whole lot of other crowns that they thought would be a lot easier. So they tried first one on and then another. But though one of them was far too heavy, they couldn't bear that. Another that looked so pretty had had thorns all mixed up with the flowers in it. And all of them had something that they did not want to bear. And then they saw another one. And they fitted that on. That fitted just right. But they recognised that, that crown as their own. The one the Lord had seen fit to lay upon them. We might sometimes think, well, we could bear someone else's trial. And yet we don't know that full path or trial. One said to Francis Covell, the once pastor at West Street, Croydon, uh, greatly used of God. How is it that you're greatly used? And uh, I mean, a minister of the gospel and you've got no trials and no troubles. And he just went and opened the door next to his study and there was his son that was so afflicted, hidden from the world, the secret trial and a burden that many could not see. Every heart knoweth its own bitterness, but with the Lord Jesus Christ, every trial, every burden, his death, his sufferings, that laid upon him, he willingly and freely took it all. He knew exactly what it would cost him, and yet he still in love did it for his dear people. Love inscribed on all that he did. There was a needs be for it. If the Lord is to redeem his people and bring them to be for, to heaven, he must go through 
that which he did go through and endure. And it's good for us when we think of our trials and our tribulations and things we go through to think of our Lord. His path, says the hymn writer, was much rougher and darker than mine. And shall my Lord suffer and shall I repine? May it be a help to us, help to you and me to consider him and think of him and those things that we go through, that the Lord would make them work for good so that it does make us think of him. Some people are blessed with good health all through their lives and those people usually are not able to sympathise or put themselves in the place of those that are weak or those that do not have good health. They just cannot picture what it is to be in that position. But those that have been in that position, they have been weak, they have been afflicted, they have been weary, then they can really sympathise with those that are like that and have to walk that same path. One of the reasons why our Lord walked through all of what he did was so that he could be a sympathising high priest over the house of God, that he might know how to succour them that are tempted and them that are tried, that he might be one that understands every disorder, every trial, every part. You say, how could he understand my weariness? He is wearied on the well of Samaria, wasn't he? He was asleep in the boat when the waves were tossing it about. He must have been very much asleep. You think, how could one sleep through that? He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. So then this first point, the need be for our Lord. But secondly, the need be of calling and the new birth for us. Really it's the beginning of every part of spiritual life that we have. No trial of faith if there is no faith. And so our Lord is so insistent in John 3. He must be born again. Born of the Spirit. There must be a beginning where he passes by his people and bids them live when they are in their blood. When he masters, we said, needs go through Samaria for the Samaritan woman and for those in Samaria. He must go over the sea to the mad Gadarene. He will find out his sheep, he will call them and that call is irresistible and it is through the word of God. My sheep, they hear my voice, they follow me. The first act of the Lord is to give life, is to Give that eternal life 
I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. I give unto them eternal life, they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of mine hand. That great gift is what the Lord gives sovereignly his dear people. And he gives it primarily through the ministry of the word, though not always, as in uh, my case and in others' case, Various things have been used where the Lord has made that soul first alive. I think Newton, it was in the midst of a storm, that hardened captain of a slave trader. And the Lord quickened him into spiritual life in the midst of that storm. And that is the first thing. The Lord gives life. And in giving life, he gives faith. May we never fall into the trap that we actually have faith somehow of ourselves and by exercising that faith we bring about the new birth ourselves. No, life comes from the Lord first and at the same time faith comes. And life and faith, they come through the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it is so imperceptible that our Lord says it is like the wind. Thou hearest the sound thereof, thou canst not tell from whence it cometh or whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. You know, sometimes when I cry to the Lord for a text and to show me what to preach from, if I put all my thought and attention on the word, Then I might go from one word to another word and I can't settle on anything. But then I might go off for a walk and I cry to the Lord, Lord, show me thy word, show me thy way. And then after a while, I suddenly realise I'm actually meditating upon a text of scripture. And I think, when did I first start meditating on that? When did that drop in? Was it two blocks back? Was it one? I don't know. It's just there, just imperceptibly. It is there. And those are sacred times. And to have that in meditation as well. That the Spirit, the Lord says, shall bring to your remembrance all things whatsoever I have said unto you. And in the quickening of life, in the giving of faith, it is that imperceptible, gentle and quiet It's just like the dew that drops. It's just like the manna that was just found in the morning. But it is life. And that soul then first begins to hear and to feel and to see and to have a concern and exercise and prayers. Paul said, Behold, he prayeth. All of God's children have a beginning. Some of them cannot tell when it was, but they know that over a period of several years there has been a change, an imperceptible, gradual change from being unconcerned to now concerned. When did it begin? They're not quite sure how it began. They're not quite sure what sermon was blessed. They can't tell you what text was used. They can't tell that either, but they know there is a difference. And they listen now and seek now 
in a way that they didn't before. The Lord's work is a sure work. We think of how it is likened to the seed that is put into the ground and it grows so gradually, yet so sure and certain. It's the Lord that sows that seed. He uses his servants and he uses his servants to water it as well. But in relation to our text, the important thing is that in that new birth there is given faith. There is given faith. This is what is so connected with the if need be. For every child of God, there are other things the Lord brings into their lives. He brings teaching. He brings chastening. He corrects them for sin, willful sin, and it is done in love. But what we have here, the needs be here. Though chastening, there is a need for that. The new birth, there is a need for that. But our subject this evening is the need be for the trial of faith, the testing of of faith, the proving of faith, that it really is from God. It is not imagined. It is not just from duty. It is not the work of man. It is God's work. And that is so vital. So I want to then look at the need be of proving that faith is true faith. You might say then, well, what is faith? In Hebrews 11, we are told in the opening verse, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The evidence or the examples of it are given right through that Hebrews 11. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So what is God telling us there? The account of creation is written in the word of God. And faith, it reads it, it believes it, it understands it, and it is a reality to them. Verse 6 of Hebrews 11, But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How vital that we have a faith that is of God's giving, that he is actually the author of it. Peter is the one writing this epistle. And we would remember the trial of faith that Peter had. It was when our Lord said to him, 
that Satan had desired to have him. He says in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. The word that is used is you, not thee. That is really Satan desires to have all of God's children. It is you in plural, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. Peter is the one that is going through this trial at this present time. And the Lord assures him that he is praying and making intercession for him at this particular time of trial and of Satan's sieve, Satan tempting him, that thy faith fail not. The Lord didn't pray that Peter would not deny him. He wouldn't be ashamed of him, no. He prayed that his faith fail not. And this is why Peter is so strong and to strengthen the brethren in this point because our Lord says, and when thou art converted or when thou art restored, strengthen thy brethren. And so that is exactly what he is doing here, strengthening the brethren going through the same trials of faith that he also is walking through. And there are, in, if you go to the fourth chapter of First Epistle of Peter, verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And so he is joining again their sufferings with Christ's sufferings and strengthening them in that path of uh, affliction and trial and testing. You think of the words that are used here around our text. Things that uh, mean the same thing or describe the path we're going through. Heaviness. Heaviness. Manifold or various temptations or various trials. Then in verse 7, trial of your faith. And then later on in that verse, tried with fire. And all of these things put together to describe this needs be, this great trial, this great time of, of testing. So what is it then that is being tried? What is it that is being tested? It is whether that faith is a real faith, whether it really is given by God. Does that faith really hold fast to the word of God? Thou saidst, I will surely do thee good. Faith will always esteem the words of God to be right and pure 
the infallible word of God, the natural faith, when trials and troubles come, will start to question the word of God and perhaps disannul it. But where faith is given, and maybe always remember this, with Peter you might say in the, in the trial, it looked like his faith had failed. But he came through the trial where he had failed. He had denied his Lord three times. But afterwards, he was still in the faith. He was still a Christian. He was still a follower of the Lord. He was still a believer of the Lord. He still loved the Lord. It's like if we had a little tree, a sapling, and it was growing up straight. And then along came the wind and it bowed right down low. That wasn't its natural place. You take the wind away and back it comes again to where it was before. It's a solemn thing. When there are those temptations that come, worldly temptations, worldly prospects, sometimes it may be with the prospect of riches or whether it be in, in using the Lord's Day and keeping the Lord's Day or not, that really finds out where one's heart really is. And there may be times that there is a bowing to it, a falling, but then there's a restoring. It's like with uh, David, it wasn't in that way a trial, it was a fall, it was something that he was chastened for, his adultery, but he was restored. That which the Lord had given him, the eternal life, the blessing of life, the Lord would not take away. And so when their faith is tried, do we still believe in Jesus? Do we still believe and hold fast to his word? Do we still hold his promises and think of those promises or as in Hebrews 11, embrace them, see them afar off and we plead them? And do we still trust that he has a plan and has a purpose that he is working out? Or is it that our whole trust, our faith, our belief, all ends up in complete ruins, and we end up not walking in the ways of God again at all? It's the most solemn condition to be in, and there are those that have made profession in the Church of God, uh, that then have gone back from that profession. Our Lord speaks in the parable of the sower of three types of hearers or the ground that the seed is cast in. And some it was taken straight away. Some it was when persecution for the word and trials came that they then began to be offended at the word. And others they were choked with the things of this world. And those are the sorts of the trials that came that resulted in no fruitfulness at all. And it's vital in these trials that it then is a personal matter. It is a personal faith. When our Lord in John 6, later on in that chapter, was speaking of the necessity of eating his flesh, drinking his blood, you have no life in you. 
They said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? Many went back, they walked no more with him. You might say the trial of faith there was the word of God itself. The Lord says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. There are those that will receive a Bible, and they'll read it for a while until they get to a passage that then offends them, and they throw the Bible away. I heard one person say, well, he said, I just read a little bit, and then I read the... Adam lived 900 years, he said, ridiculous. Oh, not bothering with that. And that's where he stopped because he couldn't receive that word. And sometimes we don't realise perhaps how much we may receive the word, believe the word, hold fast to the word, and others have seen and read the same things and they stumble at it. Apostle Paul speaks of those that, uh, or Peter actually says concerning the Apostle Paul in his writings, some things which are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest or twist as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Many things are used to test our faith as a belief. Jude, he speaks of that we are to contend earnestly for the faith once delivered unto the saints. And it is that faith, that belief. Sometimes you might hear those in a professing church and they deny the resurrection of the Lord. Or they might deny the existence of hell. And they are departing from the faith. Those that deny uh, the sacred humanity of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And they are going back from the faith, going away from the teaching of the Word of God, uh, away from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So that is what is being tried and tested, whether we were really hold on to our belief. You see, this is one thing with Job. Satan said, he only follows the Lord because thou hast put a hedge about him, has preserved all that he has. You touch all that he has, and he'll curse thee to thy face. And Satan knew many people would have failed that test. Many people with a profession of religion, when everything goes smooth, then they will believe. But if anything goes wrong, then they're offended and they say, if this is God, if this is the faith, I'm not having anything to do with that. And away they'll go. But God gave Satan permission to take from Job, even his family, and then his health. But Job, he didn't do what Satan thought. His faith stood firm. He didn't. Just follow the Lord for loaves and fishes. Job is a very real example of the trial of faith when one thing after another and he still holds fast his integrity. His wife even said to him, Holdest still, holdest thou thy integrity, curse God and die. Job reproved her as one of the foolish women. After the first wave of 
trials and the great adversity that come upon him, he says, shall we not receive good at the hand of the Lord? Shall we not receive evil? The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Many of us fear lest there be trials coming and we wouldn't stand. There's all the account of the two martyrs locked up and to come and to be uh, tested or even brought to the stake the next day. And one of them was so confident he would stand. He wouldn't deny his faith at all. The other one spent the night in prayer and tears and begging of the Lord for strength to stand. He so feared his weakness and that he wouldn't stand the fire and wouldn't stand the trial that he was to go through. But when it came to it, it was the one that had prayed and felt his own weakness that stood and the other one gave up all and bowed to the persecutors. We cannot trust ourselves. We have not strength ourselves. But we do need that faith that God has given, that he will maintain and keep alive. And it is then, especially to the people of God that may be fearful and trembling whether they truly are the Lord's people or not, that in answer to their cries and their fears, he sends these trials. Not because he doubts what he has done for them, but to show them what he's done for them. And he brings them into those trials and he brings them out. And they come out and they are still in the narrow way and they still seek the Lord. Bless the Lord if he's answered your poor cries and tears for a token for good and assurance. If the Lord has seen it to be a need be, that he's brought a trial, a test, that which may have shaken you at first, really troubled you. And yet the Lord has strengthened you to still to continue and to be found in his way. So what does the Lord use? Well, we've spoken about Job. He uses many things. The dear Christians here were to go through persecution. It was about the time when Nero was starting to persecute the church of God. Then there are those sicknesses and infirmities that come upon us or those of our loved ones. You think of the centurion that the Lord commended that he had not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And what had that centurion been going through? His servant that he loved was sick. The woman, a Syrophoenician woman, the Lord said, great is thy faith. And what had that woman gone through? Her daughter was sick. She came to the Lord first. He didn't answer her at all. Then the disciples were trying to drive her away because she was troubling them. And then the Lord said he was not sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then he said it was not meant to take the children's bread and to give it to dogs. She had so many things to discourage her. And you might say, well, that's my path. I've had so many things to discourage me. But the Lord gave her that faith, tested that faith, and at last he said, Woman, be it unto thee, even as thou uh, wish, greater for thy faith has saved thee. Her petition, Lord, help me. 
short prayer, factual prayer, and then the trial of that faith that God had, had given. Dear Job, what was his trial? Not just the outward things that were happening, but even his friends that came to comfort him, miserable comforters, i.e. all. We can have trials, you can go to the brethren, you can go to the church, you can go to your friends, and you receive even more wounds from them. And it's a further trial of faith. Even his wife, dear Job, knew what it was to have one thing after another. Then we can have spiritual temptations. Be tempted that we've committed the unpardonable sin or tempted that we've walked in some way that can never be recovered from, that we've so tried the Lord and so uh, provoked him and resisted his word that he'll never ever come again, he'll never soften us again and he'll never bless us again. And they can be very, very severe trials to us. The Lord uses these things and as he uses them and he sees there's a need of them, a need for us to see our faith, to realise what he has given us and realise if this had been our own work then it would have perished. We would not have continued. But I just mentioned this, with the trial of faith, there often is secondary benefits as well. We spoke of our Lord's sufferings. It is through what we go through often that we are able to have fellowship with him in his sufferings, to think of his sufferings when we are suffering too. And the same with his people as well, as we mentioned before. Their secondary benefits, like Peter is now writing in this way as a benefit from what he himself has gone through. Also with Peter, when he went through it, it humbled him. He had said, though all men forsake thee, yet will not I. And the Lord had to show him, Peter, you will deny me three times. Yes, he did. The Lord knew Peter better than he knew himself. But the Lord not only brought him through that trial, showed him his faith, but as a secondary benefit, he humbled him as well. The Lord does these things for our prophet. We learn patience, learn endurance, learn to walk a path that is part of God's plan. You think of Joseph. He needed to go through all of those trials to be found in a place where he was raised next to Pharaoh. There's a needs be for that. And many of the people of God, Esther, Queen Esther, Moses, Abraham, Jacob, all of these had those things that they came into. Jacob wrestling, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Why are you in such earnestness, Jacob? Well, there's Esau, he's coming with 400 men, and I fear him, and for the mother and the children. And out of this comes thou hast wrestled with God and with man and hast prevailed his name is changed to Israel. It is looking back that we see more clearly like Joseph was able to say to his brothers 
God sent me hither. Ye meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And he sees these things that he's gone through as part of God's plan, part of what he told to Abraham, that his seed would be a stranger in a strange land for 400 years. Very often our trials and the things we walk through are part of God's plan. In providence, he's working it out, moving us from one place to another place, putting a thorn in the nest here, making us leave that employment to go to another employment or that home to go to another home. And it's all a stepping stone as to what he'll actually do for us. Remember years ago, and the first employment I had after my apprenticeship as a trainee draftsman was there for, for four years, built up to an engineer. And then things happened and, and I moved employments uh, just across the road, literally. But it was that firm that I was with for 12 years and was instrumental in bringing me from, or uh, facilitating coming from Australia to here and able still to work to them here for a while and to be able to get a home here. And I think of the, the chain of events that shepherded to bring to the right place that 12 years later on, it would actually work for good. They're hard when we go through these paths. But when we think of the Lord as our captain, holding the helm, guiding the ship, those things that are trials to us, there's a need to be for them. A need to be for the trial of faith, that's the most vital thing. But more important than anything else, that our faith is given by God, it's the faith of God's elect, and that we shall obtain the desired haven at last with that faith. But the secondary benefit the Lord uses to teach, instruct, and to bring us in providence where he'd have us to be and the way that we should go. If need be, comes to mind, I preached years ago at Burgess Hill before it closed. And John Woodham's married to Marjorie, both of them believe in glory now. But I preached from the word that David said, when he was speaking to his brother in the time of Goliath, is there not a cause? Now, I can't remember actually preaching from that at Burgess Hill. But after that time, every time I met that couple, they always reminded me of that text. They said, we get things that go wrong. We sit, we're at the breakfast table. We look at each other and we say, is there not a cause? And it's a lovely thing where the Lord gives one a word, a text, that's a help right through their lives. In that instance, it's often been a help to me to remember not how I preached, not even how I preached or when, but this dear couple that heard the word and they often reminded me of it and it was such a help to them, believe often a help to me too, so they're similar to this one. Is there not a cause? And if need be, is there not a needs be? There is. But the Lord will not put on us more than we can bear 
or what is really necessary. May the Lord add his blessing. Amen.